everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, unless they've already been on the show themselves. Then it's a rejoinder episode, and that's what this is. Mike Klein is back to talk about the audiobook version of his new book, Karaoke Night at Daisuke's, which originally came out as a limited-run chapbook through Fuck. And we have quite a good time. Mike Klein has been on the show several times, and honestly, if you don't know who he is by now, you should go back and listen to some of the episodes he's been on. It'll be good for my numbers, and it will be good for your context. If you would like to support the show, you can do so in a couple of ways. Patreon.com slash NoisemakerJoe is one of those ways. PayPal.me slash NoisemakerJoe is another one of those ways. Following and rating the podcast on whatever podcatcher you use is another good way and or buying my book tired on amazon is yet another good way now that i've narrowed my self-serving pitch down to less than a couple of minutes we can get right into my conversation with mike we should set the the scene i guess so karaoke night at daisuke's came out as a chapbook through Fuck, which does, to my understanding, only like limited runs. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, and so you were gracious enough to create an audiobook such that everybody could consume the work, at least in some form. And I, like the dunce that I am, did not buy the book before it was sold out and so could only consume it. Um, you know, ignoring my ties, obviously, could only consume it uh, through the audiobook form. So we will be speaking about Karaoke Night at Daisuke's purely as an audio project of literature, because that is how I've consumed it. So if there's any sort of weird formatting or anything, uh, nothing I can do about it. (laughs) All I know is is blue cover art. That's all I know and, and what I heard. So... The the first question is, um, why an audiobook and why with text-to-speech voices? Well, um, when I talked to Evan, who runs Cellfuck, I said, what happens when the book sells out? And if it sells out, that's actually how I, I said, what happens if the book sells out? And he says, it's going to sell out. Um, and I said, well, how, I want people to read it. What do we do? He said, well, we can make a PDF and then we can send it out for free. How does that sound? I said, that sounds great. Um, what if I go one further? And in addition to the PDF, I create an audiobook. Um, and he said, that's great. He said, you know, his part is to make the physical book, distribute it. And then after that, anything else I want to do is up to me. If I have a link to a PDF, he'll, he'll send it out. If I have a link to an audiobook, he'll do that as well. Um, so basically, he said, go ahead. And in my head, I'd never done that. I've always wanted to do an audiobook. But at the same time, much like an opera or a play i'm fascinated by the idea of these these endeavors but as soon as i sit down and watch or experience any of them 10 minutes in my mind starts to wander uh, it could be uh, it could be a problem with me but i just i've tried it multiple times i just can't do it and i i thought if i do an audiobook i can't just uh i can't just have this be a basic audiobook where it's just somebody talking for however long this book is going to go for so i tried it i read it out loud and recorded myself on the phone it was about 20 minutes long I said, let's let this sit for a week and come back. I came back. I didn't like it. I said, no one's going to listen to this for more than five minutes. So I thought, how could I make this interesting? 
so then I just started writing down things that I think are interesting in, the, in, the, in terms of audio that don't necessarily have to do with writing. And I came up with terms like pirate radio signals or going through the AM channels and just finding some weird signal that someone in their basement is running. You have no idea what they're doing or why they're talking, but they're, for some reason they're doing it. I thought about sound, you know, artists, musicians that are more sound designers to me, like Ben Frost or Tim Hecker or Lorne or even James Ferraro. And I was like, what do they each do that makes their projects interesting so that every time something new comes out for them, I'm like, I need to hear this right now. And I realize it's, you know, they, they take things and they, they make it sound like something you are familiar with, but then you're wondering how do they do that? Every single one of them does that. So I thought, let's, how can I do that with someone talking or speech? So then I was like, oh, you know, I haven't checked out text to speech in a long time. It was horrible in 2006. Has it gotten better? Um, so I, I just typed in text to, text to speech. Uh, the internet is so wonderful nowadays that you can try all these things out for free. They all have a premium program, of course. You pay a subscription. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So they give you like a, either a limited like you know 10-minute trial or you can type out a certain number of words. So that's what I did, and I kept refreshing. So I typed in the first page of the book, and I listened, and I was like, oh, this sounds really weird, but I like it. And then I was like, what's this off to the right? Oh, they have different characters and each of them has a name and then they have different emotions you can do and then you can change the speed. There are so many different parameters. I'm like, this is what I want to do now. I was like, here's my, this is my, my, my play, my, my tool set. And it just kind of happened by accident. So I would randomly, I would randomly record different sections of the book in out of sequence. And then I had a file, a folder that had about 300 sound files. And I was like, I have to put these in order. But what I was doing is I was recording the same sequence with different voices to figure out which ones I liked the most. Um, and then I started shaping it by just putting those in order. And I said, I like the way this sounds, but then I wanted to do more. So then I started adding ambiance in the background and it would just be sound recordings, walking around with birds in the background or just whatever you hear outside while you're driving. And then on top of that, I was like, I want it to sound warm. And I was like, I have all this analog stuff sitting in the garage, let's do that. So I would record everything on the computer and then I would put it as one file and then I re-record it onto a cassette and then I'd re-record it onto another cassette and mix it on a different analog uh, cassette machine tape deck thing. And then I'd re-record that one more time and it gets degraded every single time. And then I'd master it and I'd put that in quotes on a thing that's designed for uh, mini discs that doesn't work anymore. Um, and then, you know, just doing that, I had no idea what it was going to sound like, but if I had to replicate it, it would never sound the same again because of all those flaws that happened. And that's what, that's kind of what made it interesting for me. Um, but yeah, I wanted to create an audiobook that doesn't sound like an audiobook, And this was the result. That's fantastic. Um, it definitely reminded me of something that's really big on like Reddit and YouTube now is analog horror. Are you familiar with like uh, Local 58 or anything like that? I am familiar with every single one of the subgenres and channels <laughs> with analog horror, yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> so um, the the keyboard sounds very much like that. And one one of the voices, one of like the first male voice you hear is very much like, you know, an instructional video at an office that somebody didn't feel like hiring a person to do it it the the way he starts talking is very um instructional which is delightful the whole thing is a delight but it's also somehow it felt like uh, a lot more dour than some of your more recent work um and 
I I also found the switching of the voices to cause me to like reevaluate the work, right? Um, we've talked before about the extended universe of your work, um, but the idea is now in my head that like every paragraph is a different speaker in a parallel universe, and we're all experiencing something kind of different from each other. Um, almost like a Platts sort of thing, uh, that, you know, I, I feel like somebody like me who enjoys the outcome of that would be too precious about my own work to, you know, take something that I wrote as like one speaker and make it a whole bunch of different speakers and then have the complete, um, the whole, uh, way that the listener interacts with the work be different from what it was like in my head when I made it. Yeah, yeah. No, so, um, you know, I, I did mention that I discovered the voices thing by accident, but what I failed to add to that was as I was doing the different experiments, what you basically mentioned is what happened. I, I, I was like, how, how does this make sense that there's different voices talking? How is it more than just an effect that I'm applying because I like it? And that was the idea that this, um, you know, people have described this book as a science fiction book, and I agree. It is more science fiction than other things I've written in the sense that this person is writing through the desert and having these out of body experiences while still remaining in their body. But then what you say about time, um, my idea was that it's all these different people that have traveled the same path, the exact same path in different vehicles. And they're all experiencing similar things, but at different times. And when the voices switch sometimes mid sentence, that's them talking and experiencing a similar thing, but experience it in their own way. And it just tells that story. Now, when you read the text, you don't necessarily get that effect. And I wanted that because I thought the audiobook should be a completely different experience than the book itself. Um, because it's the same idea as if I'm watching a play and then there's a movie made about that same book, I want the play to be completely different from the movie. I don't want them to be the same thing. There's no reason for that to happen. So that's why I almost would urge that you know someone read the book and, and listen to the audiobook because they're two completely different um, experiences, but they're still the same story. Um, and uh, what I will, what I also will say is something I kept thinking about when I was doing this is the way Christopher Nolan uses uh, music in his in his movies. In in Interstellar, he had a a, a part. Uh, I forget the name of the planet. It was a, the planet where there's just water, and then the waves are coming. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where they start yelling at each other, and I think they're saying, "Come back to the ship. You're gonna die." Stuff like that. And the music gets so loud, and they're still talking, and they're yelling that you can't hear what they're saying. And people in reviews complained, saying, I think that the sound mixer needs to be fired because they didn't know what they were doing. And then Christopher Nolan went on, on record two years after that saying, no, that was intentional. That's not how I see music. Music should be should be diegetic, um, or actually non-diegetic, where only the audience hears it, but it actually um, it, it doesn't allow the audience to hear what the characters are saying because the music is more important. So then in Dunkirk, he did the same thing, but he amplified it where there are lots of sections where there is music that is so loud you can't hear what they're saying. And then he still got criticism for that, and he said that was on purpose. And then finally in Tenet that came out, he basically went all out and said, I don't care anymore. This is what this is what I've been trying to do this whole time. And this movie, people are either calling a masterpiece or trash mm. just for the fact of how you cannot hear half of the movie because the, the sound is so loud. So I thought about that with this, and I said, I want the crackling and the static to be as as prevalent as the talking and there are parts where it gets really loud and those were some of them i tried to make happen but there was a lot of 
doing takes over and over and over and over because since this is not digital, I can't make it happen. I kind of have to, you know, slap the side of the tape deck as it's going. And then sometimes it does make that crackle. But like sometimes it does make a sound, but I don't like it. So I have to stop it, save it for another time and then, you know, put it back in. But it was it was it was interesting because it, it was very time consuming. It's, you know, it's 15 minutes. Imagine doing that 20 times. That's a lot of time. Um, but I appreciated it because there was a sense of control that I didn't have where I felt like there was another writer or author or recorder recordist there with me who was kind of just doing their own thing. And I either had to be like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Fine. No problem. Or no, 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 we're doing this all over again. And I liked that quality because that's something you don't really get in writing. And the closest you can get to that if you're writing on paper is, uh, using AI, you know, the AI generate, and that's getting better too, actually, by the way, and compared to like, even when lonely men club club came out. Um, but yeah, so I'm fascinated by these things of taking something you've made and then trying to mutate it into something else that is different, but also very much the same. So how much of it for you, and this could extend to your entire body of work, but how much of it is like accidental, uh, versus a more like directed chaos versus... I don't know, intentional, I suppose. Cause we, we've talked extensively about your extensive editing and clearly even in making the audio form, there's a lot of, you know, work that goes into crafting it. Um, but yeah, how much of it is completely chaotic and how much of it is a, a molding of the chaos? So this is going to be a boring answer, but unfortunately, none of it is chaotic. Um, the, the, and that's for the audio and the writing. And the reason for that is because I, this is going to probably upset a lot of people, but I see, I kind of see chaos as laziness mm. in a way, you know, there is good chaos. I have not been able to find that for myself. Have I, have I tried to emulate chaos or just go with it and do things and see what happens? Yes but I've never liked the results because it doesn't sound like me and it's not what I would have done myself. And I guess I'm too much of a perfectionist for that. Um, in terms of the recording. Yeah. Like I said, I would, I would record the same sequence five times in a row. And that's only because I wanted to capture a specific sound, maybe at the seven minute mark and see what would happen there. Or I would hear something new at the 12 minute mark and say, oh, wow, I don't know how that happened, but I want that. Now I don't consider that chaos because when you're recording with analog and you're purposely using crappy equipment, you're kind of looking for that sound, mm -hmm. but there is no way for you to replicate it because if there's a magnet near you that you don't know about, you don't know that that's what's causing it. If you know your cell phone rings, it makes different sounds. If it's buzzing, something happens. If, if you're wearing, you know, even what you're wearing will affect it, believe it or not. So what I, the way I tried to control that was by recording the same thing to 10 times and then picking the pieces that I liked from each one. Mm. And I don't consider that chaos because I was basically conducting the orchestra as it were. We rehearsed 10 times and I said, I like this from each one of these. Let's put it together. And now in the writing, um, I just write anything that comes to mind. So that's the chaos part. But then I'll spend months removing what I don't like. And that's why I say by the time it's over and it's done, there is no chaos left. Hmm. Some people might do the whole write whatever comes to mind and then that's it. That's done. That's for everyone to consume. I can't do that because I don't know where that's coming from when all that comes out. I am fascinated by where that's coming from. And I want to filter that 20 times and dilute it to the point where I feel like it's what it is. But the dilution is a concentrated version of what it originally was. Cause I feel like it's this, these ideas, but they need to be chiseled out of the marble or the granite or whatever it is. Um, 
so yeah, I would say zero, zero to zero point one percent chaos, and the rest is all heavily manipulated, heavily edited, heavily. There is an idea behind everything, um, and I actually thought about for this one to like have an explanation at the end. That was basically a. Did you catch this? Did you catch this? Did you realize this meant that? Did you know that this was an allusion to this? But then I thought I don't want to do that because if somebody did not get any of that, but they had a different idea, it's going to take away from that, and I don't want to do that. Right. Um, because obviously with this one, uh, you know, Nick Land is the is the is the epigraph. So that's not in the in the audiobook. I should have done that. But in the book, there's an epigraph where it's basically uh, in the future, nothing human makes it out alive. And that is a reference to accelerationism. Um, and then there are allusions to the CCRU um, in the the book and the audio. And if you're not familiar with that, that's something that's very complex and hard to explain. And it's easier to just go look it up. But a lot of the things the character, or I guess characters in the audiobook say as well, um, kind of alludes to technology and what's happening right now and where I feel we're headed and uh, how there is literally nothing we can do about it. So we kind of just try to uh, convince ourselves that everything is fine when we know we it's not. And the things that we are using to try to forget are the same things that are going to end everything. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, also, I mean, like, if we want to go further with that, Something I couldn't put in the book was the text to speech. I'm I'm literally using computers that are pretending to sound like humans, mm -hmm. and that adds another element to it. And I will say that the there so there's a whole section that is entirely in French, mm -hmm. um, and I I love that I was able to do that in text and also in audio in the sense that if you do not speak that language, you cannot understand what's going on unless you right. want to copy paste it or try to use some audio thing to translate it. But even that is that's not the purpose. Um, I will say that the text to speech version of the French speaker actually sounded like a human, like you that sounds like a person talking to you it, the english ones there's always something they do or say or there's a pause that goes for a little too long that you're like no human would ever do that but in the french one for both the the the, the female and the male voice it was uncanny and it kind of scared me <laughs> um and i don't understand why that that seems more natural than it uh, it does in english and i wanted to kind of explore that um in future projects where it's like is it because of the cadence or the way you speak in you know the the beautiful languages like french or italian um, and is it because I, I almost wonder what German sounds like if you do text to speech, but since I don't speak German, I, I wouldn't know if it sounds, um, believable. Right. Well, but I, yeah, it, it's just all those little, those little nuggets and snippets that I'm trying to, trying to ask all these questions without answering them. Right. That's fascinating too, because I, I particularly enjoyed the English speaking with the Japanese accent. And I thought that the you know, the quirks that I think English speakers like really pick up on, you know, adding like the uru at the end of words or something is mm -hmm. the, the fact that they put that in was like really cute. Um, but like how authentic is that really is an interesting thing. And, um, you know, I, I don't speak French at all. My, my wife and I have decided it might be fun to try to learn or at least do the French Duolingo courses together as a fun little couples thing. Mm -hmm. And we've both tried to learn or are working on learning other languages separate from each other um, and, and find that French is quite difficult <laughs> because the way that the words are spelled versus how 
they're said and how words and letters interact with each other to affect pronunciation is unlike anything that I've experienced in trying to learn other languages ever that um, knowing that the text-to-speech French is better uh, more authentic sounding than than the English ones is I don't quite know what to make of it other than to say something snide about French but that would ultimately be like untrue right 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 and and the thing you mentioned about the accents is interesting as well because that was a so once the french section ends when it gets back to the english i actually used a french speaking text-to-speech character to speak in english so they're supposed they're supposed to be talking in french but i typed english words and they were used they were saying it with a french accent um that part didn't sound as authentic as i thought it would sound uh when the french speaker was speaking or try trying to speak english um but yeah the parts where it's like you know a japanese character trying to speak english or someone english trying to say something in japanese um was kind of interesting to me because it's like at what point does it become offensive because it's like you know what if you take someone who doesn't speak that language and you, you ask them to try to say it with an accent i mean that's what these that's exactly what these were doing i'm asking someone who speaks French to try to speak English, but try to emulate a French accent, even though they're not a real person. Um, but it, it did it well enough. I mean, and it, it only keeps getting better. And it says that it keeps learning all the time. So I'm going to keep revisiting it at this point. You know, I'm not giving up on it. <laughs> not just yet. Another, another thing that I guess goes along with this and that for whatever reason we haven't really discussed before is your multilinguality and i'm curious if you feel that that has aided you in some way or or another um like i don't even know what age did you did you grow up learning uh bilingually or was it just french and then english later it was just uh so i think my parents decided that french was the harder language which i think they are correct about and you know, mm-hmm. going off of what you said as well that is true the reason French is so hard is because a lot of it doesn't make sense. So I had the benefit of, so I did learn French first. And when you don't know any other language, you don't question anything. It's just, mm-hmm. you're told this is what it is. This is what it is. And I remember in classes, um, cause you can, there with French, it was hard because you learn how to speak it. And then there's literally the phase, anyone who grew up speaking French or even maybe is learning it now, there's the phase where it's like, you got to learn how to speak it. Once you feel comfortable enough speaking it, now you have to put your hat on and learn how to write it because it's a whole different game. Um, And I say that in the sense that there's all these rules that do not make sense. And there's even portions where you just have to memorize these 27 words. And these 27 words do not apply when it comes to these rules for every other word in the language. Why? Nobody knows. That's just how it is. And, you know, you do that over and over and over again. It just kind of gets ingrained to you. So, yeah, I, I, um, I, was, I spoke French first. I did not start speaking English until I was, I think I was six or seven. I would say words when I was like, you know, five, but it was when I was six or seven. I remember coming back home from school and then my dad's like, okay, we're going to start. You're going to learn English now. And I remember the very first lesson I ever got is he literally took out a book that had crayons that were not colored in, but it would have the, the, the color of the crayon written in it. He's like, you're going to pick out the crayon that it is and you're going to color the color it's in there. And I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, but then I started learning that. And somehow he, they said I picked it up quick. Um, so by the time I think I was eight or nine, I was pretty comfortable speaking both of those languages. And my parents spoke both. So at home, the idea was I had to speak English to my dad and French to my mom so that I could, you know, connect the two and make them my languages. Um, 
but then they came, there came a time where I started speaking French less. And I think it was like when I was 10, I started losing it. So they said, no, 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 you're going to, you're only going to speak English to dad and French to mom. So that's how it's always been. Um, but you asked, has that helped me? I would say that, uh, because of the difficulty of French, I was more in tune with weird things that happen when you're writing or when you're trying to compose sentences, you ask yourself, oh, okay, in French, this is that because the chair is female. Okay. Whereas in English, you don't have any of that. And I know a lot of other languages have that, but just English for some reason just ignores all of that. So going from any other language, I would say, to writing in English is so easy because you basically have to, you just throw out every half the stuff you learn because it doesn't apply in English. Um, so I would say that, yeah, I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm more of a critical reader um, in the sense that I, I will see things that most people don't find interesting in the way something is written in English. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool how that was done. And then I start thinking of ways that I can write things that are. That's why, if you look at the way I write things, I use, I like to misspell things on purpose. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just because I'm bored with how English is, and I want to add some of that weirdness from other languages where something is spelled different. If you ask me why, I don't have a reason. I just decided that's how I want to spell it. You still know what it means, but it's not spelled the right way. And then the way characters say certain things as well is also just part of that interest with language. Um, I don't think I'm interested in linguistics to the point that certain people are, but I certainly do have an appreciation for it only because I was exposed to it at such a young age. And then it was only when I got older that I realized, well, this is hard for, for people. You know, if you've never learned French and you want to learn it after you've learned English for so long, it just doesn't make sense because some things cannot be explained to you. Um, so I don't know if it, I don't know if it helped me, but I think it, it definitely did shape the way I look at literature or how I decide to write um, my sentences and, my dialogue and how things are spelled. Also, a weird thing that I like to do is I like to use the British spelling for a lot of things. Um, like favorite, I'll use the mm-hmm. OU version of it. Um, and I, ju- I just, I prefer that because it, it makes it more complicated. Because favorite with just the O is too easy. I have to throw the U in there because it makes it harder. Is that a fact? No, but it just, it's another interesting thing. And I always have to remember that because I'm like, I want to be consistent. So I'm going to misspell all these words and always do it that same way because that's going to be my thing. And I, I would just call that like a personal weird challenge that I set for myself that I've consistently been keeping up with. Huh. I like that. I, I noticed that I thought I, for whatever reason, figured that was some sort of a French holdover. I don't know why. Nope. Um, <laughs> it makes sense though. It could have been, but no, it was not. Um, I learned American English, not British English at all. Cool. I like that. That's the reason, um, rather than not that the, it would be bad, but rather than it just being like an alt lit holdover or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I think the first thing I really noticed was that you spell though with three letters, mm-hmm. uh, which makes more sense to me, you know? Um, and, and I liked it. I, I think I first noticed it in Canley Stubrick, which is such a small book anyway, that it just made sense that it's like everything is truncated a little yep. bit space words, um, the idea of novel, smaller cool mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that was before i understood that all of your stuff is linked in different ways um something i thought about while listening to the book for the second time was how um it was the uh, the idea of distracted reading or i suppose at this point distracted listening and how um I sometimes have a challenging time reading your work because my brain goes off in different directions. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, but um, 
it's much easier when it's an audio thing, but it's also much easier to engage with the work again and again and again, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's an audio book. I can listen to it whenever I want doing all different sorts of things. So, you know, I guess we've sort of already talked about how with the different voices, the experience is different, but, um, you know, have, have you found in reaction at this point or just in thinking about it, um, you know, your feelings changing or growing on how people interact with your work? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, ever since Mastodon Farm came out, the first book that I wrote in 2012, uh, every time a new book comes out, people keep asking me, when, when is the audio book coming out? And I always say, it's coming, it's coming. I mean, it's very easy to do. You can, go, you can literally go on Fiverr.com, pay someone, I don't know, $100, and they can read your whole book for you, especially mine that are very short. They can do it in one hour, and you can get a professional-sounding person to read your book. But I never did it because, you know, it's what I, I alluded to earlier on. I, I, I just I think it's boring. Um, I think it would detract from my style of writing because yes, I'm writing a book that is coming out and it looks like a book, but then when you look at it, as you said, you read it and it's, it's hard to focus on it because it's, it's weird. It's not what you expect. And it's like, I don't really know what's going on all the time. And I wanted to bring that to the audio version as well. Um, so now that I've done the karaoke audio book, um, I have gotten feedback from it because I put it on Bandcamp, and, you know, that's the easiest way to get people to hear things because you don't have to sign up for anything you don't have to download anything you just click play and it goes if you don't like it you click x um and people have been really receptive they like it because like what you said they can do whatever they want and then they can listen to it and if they they're like oh wow i want to i want to re-listen to that because a it's short and b i missed this part so i want to hear it again um it it just allows you to do it because everything's in real time because if you're reading something if you're a slow reader like me it takes you 19 times longer than anybody else and it's kind of a it's kind of a uh it feels more like a job sometimes than something mm-hmm. you enjoy. But if you're listening, if we both press play at the same time, we're both going to be done at the same time unless we, we press pause. So I have found a newfound appreciation because I've, I've, I think I've found a format that I like now for audiobook. But the thing is, is this is this like, so if I make an audiobook for everything I've ever released, are they all going to be just, you know, collections of voices talking with music that I'm playing in the background and then, you know, collages of sounds that I've collected? Or was that specific to karaoke? And now I'm just going to try to do something different with each one, but in that same realm. That's what I'm trying to figure out because I like it. But then there's also an element where it's like, it's not that easy to follow. If somebody wants to actually follow what's in the book, they want to hear the words clearly, which this this does not do all the time. So it's more of a performance of the piece than it is an actual one-for-one recreation of it. I guess after this experience of, of doing the audiobook and you know, developing some sort of method for it that you can at least work off of in the future. Um, Cause you've experimented in, in a lot of forms. Cause you've done the play, the generative text, the audiobook, several novels. Um, and part of that is just the natural growth and curiosity of being an artist, right? Like you just want to do something new because doing the same thing is kind of pointless when you're creating. Um, mm-hmm. Has has anything been sparked in you? Do you do you feel something like nascent growing um, after doing the audiobook? Do you mean in terms of like doing more audiobooks or just or in general? Yeah, just like has it reinvigorated you at all or anything like that? 
I will say that since I was going in with an idea for the audiobook and I didn't know if I could do it, I'm glad that I was able to do that. And it's 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 uh, answered a lot of questions for me in terms of what I cannot can and cannot do um, with, that I've never done before. Because yeah, whenever I do a new project, I try to do something different. Even if it seems similar to something else I did, I try very hard to do something completely different with it. And it's to challenge myself and it's also to keep things interesting for people who are engaged in the work that I'm, I guess, presenting. Um, but you know, has it sparked? Yeah, I would say, you know, just by the nature of it, I, I've, I, as soon as I was done, and even in the process of doing it, there are things that I wrote down that I was like, oh, these things just happened here that I couldn't do before. I want to try to do these in a different way in something else now. And so these are ideas that I have no idea what I'm going to do with, but they're written down somewhere. I hope I didn't lose that piece of paper. Um, but yeah, it, it has sparked. The, the other thing I will say is that the idea of all these different characters talking has, I've always had, I always have a lot of characters in certain stories where they just, you know, they all do things. They exist for a moment and then they just disappear. And it's like, what, what happened? And, in a way, it's, it's shown me a different dimension where it's like, oh, these characters can stay. They can stay for longer than just one line of dialogue, and it, it, it'll still be interesting. Um, because the English speaker in the audiobook, the male voice at least, that's the same person that keeps coming back. Every time you hear English, it'll go from male to female. I think I have two female English speakers because they have different accents for sure. But then the male, it's mostly the same guy. But then you get different. You get like an Australian accent and like a British accent, then he'll come back again. Um, and it gave me the idea that, yeah, maybe I should try to stick with the central character. Because I think um, Canley Stubrick is the last one where I had like a main character who goes looking for characters or a character. And ever since then, everything I've everything I've made and like released has been just an, a, a cast of characters who don't stay for longer than a page. And then they just go away. But then in a way, what you can do is you can take all those characters and say well, maybe it's all the same person in different dimensions so i think that you know i don't think if you, i don't know if you read you did, did you read burning oceans right yeah we burning talked oceans, about that yep. yes we did that's right yes yes we did i remember now yep i remember i even remember what you said now it's in my head <laughs> yeah so for, for that one it's all different characters but then um i would i would liken the experience of reading burning oceans to listening to the karaoke audiobook actually and and how how the sequence of events because that one is just Every single page features three or four characters. Something happens to each one of them, and then it moves on to something else. And it's like all these scenes, and it's like this island that's rotating. And like the camera is static, but then the island keeps rotating. And then once the, once the camera sees movement, it stops the island, and it fixates on what's happening. And then the, 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 the game is that each character ends up dying anyway. So then they all die, and then the, the island keeps rotating. So it's kind of like a play, if you want. You could have an audience sitting somewhere and then there's like a rotating stage and then each there's six sides to the stage and each time you see the character something happens and then once they all die it keeps rotating that's what burning oceans is kind of like in terms of how it's set up um karaoke night is also similar in that sense for the audiobook version because of how the characters just keep coming and appearing and disappearing but the flow of it that was something i was very interested in is i wanted to keep a flow where it felt like it was one person talking even though you hear different voices um so that idea that I, I thought about, well, I did that in Burning Oceans with writing, but now I did that with audio. I want to try to do something different with that. Something I've been trying to do for a long time is I want to do some visual stuff, mm -hmm. um, but like I, like moving images, like like a movie stuff. But I'm wondering how do you keep someone's attention for? It's I can't do it for an hour. You know, it's hard to do that, and I don't want to waste a lot because that'll take a long time to do that. 
So I'm thinking, what's the ideal length for that? And also, how do I want to do that? I have ideas for that. But yeah, to answer your question, I think something that I want to challenge myself with that I've never done is something visual um, that, I, of course, would be free. I'm not going to be selling a DVD or whatever unless people want that. But you'll, even if there is that, you will be able to see this for free and you'll be able to watch it, listen to it or whatever, and then be like, yep, that is linked to his writing in the audiobook. He definitely did that. That's the hardest part. I want it to be like, oh, he didn't do this for a paycheck or oh, who just just did it in five minutes. No, I want to make it seem like it's all part of that same universe. So yeah, I guess, you know, in 15 years from now, look out for a visual something from me. <laughs> moving, moving images, a film of some sort. <laughs> and it's not going to be like what you expect. You know, I think, you know, you might be thinking actors, all that, who knows? I, I, I might not even do that. Mm-hmm.